0: And well met, adventurers! Welcome to the Crate and Crowbar, a mysterious tavern that appeared as if from nowhere, from the swirling mountain mist, wherein a tale of gaming be wrought. A tale encanted to the speaking stones upon this night, the 10th of high sun, 2023. lizard man by the door tells you it's episode 424, whatever the fuck that means. Maybe he's drunk. I'm the walking dump stat, Marsh Davis, and joining me at the bar tonight with their steaming flagons of hot takes are the Natural 20, Tom Senior. Hello. And the mega buff, Jamie Britton. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. Gents, has anyone else been playing the video game Baldur's Gate 3? Because would you believe from that introduction that I have? Mm, I have been Uh, playing it, yes.
1: I have not, and I'm dead keen to hear what you guys think about it. Um, I've sort of been sort of surfing the discourse on this one until I actually pick it up properly and put some time into it. So I can't wait to hear what you guys think.
0: Well, I like it, Jamie. Do you like it? Yeah, I think it's
2: kind of incredible. Is is my mm-hmm. feeling on it? Um, would you like me to unpack why, or shall I just? No, let's just leave it there. Let's just end the podcast <laughs> now. Let's just end the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just retreat into my little private demon dimension that I've uh, popped into just to. Uh...
1: So, I guess, like, what classes did you guys create? So, you guys create so. It seems like the character creation stuff is really cool and like flexible.
2: Yeah, it's 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 great. I mean, I'm playing as a lady. I've made the lady I tend to make for most games, so she is canonically not only you know the savior slash um, antichrist of this world, but she's also um, Commander <laughs> Shepard from uh, Mass Effect. <laughs> it's just the same person having uh having landed on on planet Baldur's. Um. And I've, I've uh, chosen the uh, sort of story background, which is called The Dark Urge, which I can uh, talk about in a, in a moment. But uh, mm. yeah, that's, that's where I'm going from. What about you, Marsh?
0: Well, I feel like I made a slight error in that I just took one of the story background characters because uh, they were so key, I think, to my enjoyment of um, Divinity Original Sin 2, which I played mm. a lot of, uh, that I didn't want to miss out being like the, the focus of one of those stories. Um so I just picked your sort of you know your Wizard Himbo character Wimbo your Wimbo <laughs> character and um he he is actually more interesting than I thought he was going to be but I I wasn't uh, from that kind of character select screen where you can either make your own character or you can pick one of the kind of the pre N the pre weren't initially that exciting to me but as I've got into the game and I sort of um experienced more of their backstories uh I'm really into all of them now, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I could, I could, I feel like I could have created my own weirder character. Well, it was uh, weird because
2: they, did... they, uh, you know, when *Divinity: Original Sin*, the trick was to definitely pick one of the uh, one of the pre generated characters your mm. first time through the game. But it turns out with *Baldur's Gate 3, that it's the opposite. They want you to Sven, what's his name, you know, head of Larian, has specifically said that he suggests you go for uh, uh, your own character first time through. Oh, um well, he didn't we, say it to me did he well he didn't say what it was my email yeah exactly <laughs> I mean I, Rude. <laughs> so yeah um, I mean just to talk about it more generally um, Baldur's Gate 3 I never really played the original Baldur's Gate I've tried a few times um, over the years um, and even though they've been really adequately um, you know held together and supported and updated and even added to um by that team, who I think I called Beamdog or something similar, um, you know, you can now play Baldur's Gate uh, on anything, and it runs really well. And there's even an option to click where it's like you don't have to deal with any of the fiddly D and D stuff. And every time I get to that screen where it says, "Do you not want to deal with any of the fiddly D and D stuff?" I say. No, I am going to deal with that fiddly DD stuff, and I am definitely going to play this game for more than forty-five minutes before driving myself crazy trying to work out how it all fits together. So <laughs> that's what always happened to me with Baldur's Gate. Um, I know and respect many people who say it's a masterpiece, and I'm sure if had I had gotten into it, I would. I would have found that too. I once met a guy in a co workspace I was working in, um, and he saw me playing a video game on my laptop when I should have been working, and he he came over and said, oh, you play video games? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We were sort of chatting. I was asking him what he played. And it transpired that he had, um, he'd been playing video games all his life. But when Baldur's Gate came out, he just stopped because Baldur's Gate and Baldur's Gate 2 were everything he'd ever wanted in a video game. And to this day, he just played mods <laughs> and fan creations and, and expansions and the original base game. I just <laughs> I found it amazing that this guy's entire... Like gaming career had just basically been clarified in one that is kind
1: of,
2: kind of weirdo that's game. <laughs> that's amazing.
1: Imagine that happening in any other medium. It's like <laughs> I've watched this one film, and the films are just done for me now.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, think, I mean, I've got a mate against. who's like that with Independence Day. It was just like yeah, I'm done, with, <laughs> done with movies Independence Day. So that's yeah, so I always, I always found that, and like I'm a latecomer to CRPGs. Generally, I think um, it was only listening to and Crowbar and talk, and hearing you guys talk about it that it sort of drew me into it. And I think um, you know, Divinity Original Sin 2 was just, you know, an absolute mind-blowing experience for me. You know, it solved so many of the problems I'd had with CRPGs before. Um, I thought it was really well written, really well put together, beautiful, you know, all that kind of immersive sim DNA running through it and everything like that. So I was super excited for Baldur's Gate 3, not so much because of the Baldur's gaitiness of it. Um, but more because it's basically Divinity Original Sin 3. I mean, they could have called it Divinity Original Sin 3 colon Baldur's Gate and it would have been fine. No one would have noticed. You know, it it really is a Larian game. Um, And it has all the things that I loved about uh, Divinity Original Sin in there and lots of stuff that they have um, kind of improved upon as well um like things like for example if you're trying to do a persuasion check against someone and you happen to have a spell on you or a scroll on you that would help your dice roll in that it will pop up at the bottom that you've got it and you're able to apply it to use your spell which is a thing you've been able to do in like you know role playing games for years now you know have a scroll to give yourself a a status effect to improve your chances of something, but um, the fact that it supplies you with it at the moment um, that you need it and and gives you a prod in that way, I've never seen done before. It's just transformative for a game that relies upon dice rolls of one um, level or another. Um, So, like... (laughs) The thing I think that is kind of majestic about it is... Well, there's a bunch that's majestic about it. First of all, I would say it recreates everything that's great about Dungeons and & Dragons and discards pretty much everything that's shit about Dungeons & Dragons. So it's got all the excellent monster slaying and having a big bag of comedy prop magic tricks that you can deploy at any moment in clever ways and and crazy cosmic nonsense going on all the time. and kind of a slightly horny um take on slightly. Tolkien, very, very <laughs> horny take on <laughs> on the sort of tropes of fantasy. Um I was very pleased with the character select options where you're, you know, you're given a chance to uh choose your um character's genitals and and in what an unshowy and unflashy way that it did that. Like in Cyberpunk, it's like, do you want a pair of tits? Or do you want a pair of really rocking tits? You know, and it was the the opposite of that. It was just like Click, click, click. Yep, that'll do. Thank you very much. And I, and I for one appreciated that as a deep, deeply repressed British person. Um, so yeah, all the good stuff about D&D kind of gets rid of all the bad stuff about D&D, which I think is all the kind of slightly grognardy mechanical stuff. It's all in there. It's just hidden under a sort of shimmer of um, UI and interface stuff, which I think is is really, really great. And I like that because... I just can't be bothered to work out the the details which is the bit about the original Baldur's Gate games that kind of did my head in. Um and I would say the other thing about it is that its storytelling structure I think is a complete marvel as well. And I think that's the thing that really elevates it um, above anything else I've really played in the kind of in the entire RPG genre. I mean I'm sort of part, part of the way through act 2 now. I think I've played for about 30 ish um, hours. There's a lot going on. Um, There's a lot of stuff happening, lots of characters, lots of big shit happening. Um, I will say that, like, I don't want to spoil anything about it, really. Um, And it's an incredibly spoilerable game um, because this, even if, like, I was thinking, oh, maybe we should do a lock in about Baldur's Gate, you know, full spoilers lock in, but actually, There are so many paths through the game and so many different ways that you can experience it. It would actually, even if you'd played the game, um, a spoiler cast would sort of still spoil the game for you because there's so much in there you won't have experienced. So you probably won't do that. And there's so much stuff in there that I could just, the stuff that's happened to me in that game that i would i'm just aching to tell you about that it's so hilarious and just so like mind blowing was one moment uh you know playing through yesterday which literally had me gasping it was just pure what the fuck i can't believe they went there mm-hmm. um kind of magic really and just storytelling on a icu sort of level not intensive care unit, but like ICU, the player. Um, oh, right, yeah. Yes, okay. <laughs> yeah. not, not, not storytelling on an ICU unit. That is the TV show we ER, are, which, as we all know, is a classic um, TV show, <laughs> but this is not that podcast. Um, yeah, so structurally, I think, is is what makes it into something really special. Um, I'm playing as the character who has the dark urge, which basically means that before you were your character, you were some kind of... N- uh, awful monstrosity, <laughs> um, terrible person, which is a thing that like, obviously is has been a part of CRPGs kind of from the start, um, the idea that you're some sort of dark messiah of might and magic or otherwise. Um, and I don't know if you're one of those, but you're certainly a very bad person because you have options to do really terrible, terrible shit. Um, but what's great about it is it, because you have this sort of awful beast urge that lives inside you, which is separate, by the way, from the tadpole in your mind. (laughs) You've got, like, two different wolves inside of you, and both of them are absolutely awful. Um, But, uh, yeah, you have, um, have, because you have this urge, it gives you, the player, an excuse to do terrible stuff just to see what will happen, because you can blame it on your dark urge and not (laughs) on yourself. So it's a little bit of genius. I have done some terrible shit. Like, really awful. Um, uh, Like, Despicable Akira shit, um, and uh, it's just great because you can just and all the the other characters will respond to being like, "Oh my god, I can't believe you did that!" And you're like, oh, "Blame the dark urge," you know.
1: I I love that that that's kind of like the method actor excuse. Um, yeah, on, on our Discord, someone brilliantly said, "Oh, no one ever methods." nice people they always yeah. method cruel bastards and i just <laughs> allow to be mean to everyone around them in, in the name of their and, art and it <laughs> a- absolutely
2: gives you that and i have yeah. like what's been great about it is as the game's gone on i've leaned more and more into the dark urge because it's so delicious and now i'm just horrible to everyone i meet always and there is uh, there are so many like particular dialogue options that you can go for to just be a real fucking arsehole to everyone no matter how vulnerable they're feeling or whatever's going on so that's that's fantastic and it's a whole bunch of stuff that you won't see if you don't play the dark urge but i'm sure there is a equivalent uh, amount of crazy stuff if you do One of the things that um, Crate and Crowbar uh, has contributed to popular culture in the most fundamental way is the idea of Big Town, Um, (laughs) which which I think was you, Tom, uh, back in the day, talking Mm -hmm. about uh, arriving at a Big Town in an RPG and being overcome with um, sort of decision overload because there's so much going on, and then just basically not playing the game ever again, right? Which is a real problem and has been discussed back and forth on this podcast for years. Baldur's Gate 3, I think, solves the big town conundrum through its use of storytelling structure. And the way it does this, and this is a very mild spoiler, but it's been in all the previews, um, so I think it's okay, is that Act 3 of the game is the city of Baldur's Gate. Hmm. Um, And Acts 1 and 2 are on your way to Baldur's Gate, basically, and there's lots of characters very early on, who kind of say to you, well, when we get to Baldur's Gate, we'll do this. And when we'll get to Baldur's Gate, we'll do that. So the big town, the biggest town really, is right at the end of the game. And the 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 areas that you're in in the first two acts of the game are, they're big, um, but they're not unfocused. And everything in the story, all the sort of side cast and side characters and and plot lines that you encounter, and they are myriad and many and very complicated. They all point in the same direction, and that is its master stroke, I think. And I think it's key to how well it all hangs together. Um, and it'll, you know, it remains to be seen. As I as I say, I'm probably less than halfway through the game, to be honest. Um, it remains to be seen how the, how it plays out. But if the reviews and all the stuff people have been saying about it is true, I think they've nailed it. In that by very judiciously limiting their scope, um, but knowing exactly where to sort of amp amp things up and bulk things out, but knowing when to be lean as well. Um, They avoid the Big Town problem because the end of Act One isn't you arrive in Big Town as it is in, you know, lots of games. They actually push that further down the road. Um, And instead you have all of this um, building characters and building plot and building mechanics, um, which I assume all pay off in that final act, um, in the Baldur's Gate, um, you know, uh, uh, biome, as it were. Um, and I think it's it's such a clever move because it allows them to be really, really creative, really, really um, uh, sort of mad. Uh, with all of their ideas, because they manage, like I say, they manage to point them all in the right direction. They manage to every side quest you do, every character you meet is part of the same big picture story that's going on. It's not going round up my chickens. It's not, you know, um, you know, uh, find my. Uh, it's not the sort of Diablo Four style quest where it's just like my husband's gone off into the woods with a witch. Um, can you can you come and get him back, please, and kill any demons you meet on the way? I mean, there are missions like that, but they very much. They they loop around and they feed back in and they take you back to places you hadn't been before. So, yeah, that's my kind of feeling about it, really. Um, it's written really well. It's really funny. Um, as you said, Marsh, like, the characters t- sort of zag away from where you assume they're going to be. Um, it reminds me of the Witcher games in that respect. Like, they pivot away from obviousness um, pretty... Um, pretty intensely and and consistently every time you think you know what you're getting they'll take you off in a in a in a different direction um and uh yeah so yeah that's that's my feeling about it i'm enjoying it immensely i can't stop playing it i can't stop thinking about it um it's bloody
0: brilliant my character has a cat with wings (laughs) that's what i I really needed But yeah, I totally, um, I, I'm not nearly as far in the game as you are. I think I'm getting towards the uh, later stages of Act One. Um, but already I can feel like um, that same sort of gravitation that you're talking about, where even side quests are sort of move, shuffling you along through different paths towards uh, a similar sort of goal. And it doesn't really matter or uh, well, it does matter it matters to you as a player which one of those paths you take because they're each extremely gratifying and uh, an excellent way of expressing your character um, but there is still an ele- they're still kind of elegantly shaped to, to kind of not so much to funnel you back to the same point but just in the same kind of pushing you towards the same geography um and it's not something you overtly notice i think which is which is the elegance of it whereas in a lot of games where you have you know branching choice structures you can see the points at which those choices tie back into the main trunk and it's hard to perceive that really uh in baldurs gate i'm not sure there is exactly a main trunk so much as um a, like a landscape that you're journeying through and you end up in the same sort of places but you're not necessarily doing the same exact same things there um I think that's great. And also the writing is just uh, it's just really joyful. Like I, I think it goes back to one of the things I was saying about Viewfinder the other day, where um, you feel that um, sometimes writing has been inserted into the game because perhaps there was an empty box on a spreadsheet uh, and they didn't have any writing to close off the end of a particular level, so somebody had to come up with something to put in there. And it doesn't, and it's not actually bad writing, but it doesn't necessarily make a case for its own existence. Whereas all of the writing in Baldur's Gate feels like it, it needed to be there, like it deserved to exist. <laughs> and it followed on naturally from something else that somebody really wanted to write. There's just a kind of sense of enthusiasm to all of it, which I don't always get from a lot of um, writing in video games.
2: I but, agree. Uh, and it's got a kind of, um, the tone of it, it's almost. It almost reminds me of um, Everything uh, Everywhere All at Once in a funny kind of way. It's got a similar sort of jolly, um, silly, faintly, like, fecal <laughs> sort of, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's kind of, you know, the kind of Larian's obsession with um, talking animals continues here to, like, completely joyous effect. Um, you can talk to basically anim- any animal in the game and it's always really funny. There's there's some majestic um posh cats you can
0: meet later down the line.
1: <laughs> um, just uh, you just
0: get it's it's very true to to role-playing because yeah. you get the sense wherever you're ever ever you're about to pick an option, you can almost see the sort of GM steepling their fingers with anticipation of what you're going to pick. And then then you pick something like, Oh yes, I'm so glad you picked that, because now I get to pour this bullshit on you. <laughs> I've been preparing for hours um there's just this this sense of joy to it which is uh which I wasn't really anticipating even having played and loved Larian's previous games um, it,
2: it's really nice to have, to see uh, something that adapts tabletop role playing games um by really leaning into just filling the game with narrative and, and writing at every opportunity um you know often that hasn't necessarily been you know the way of the, the way of uh like it it's often a way of communicating the idea of like character choice and, and branching narratives and things like that but actually uh, i think disco elysium sort of kicked open the doors for this one but i think mm. it does a, a kind of comparably good job of using good writing as a way of um you know building your immersive sim essentially um and, and giving players feedback on 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 what they do and like i saw an article to this effect earlier so i won't sort of labor someone else's point but like the fact that it the big town problem is partially eradicated because you kind of know <clears throat> that whatever you do, you're going to see some awesome shit. And whatever the dice lands you in, you can trust in in that. I mean, I talk to people who are playing this game who have several characters in the party who I do not have. I mean, there's a couple of those who I know exactly why I don't have them for dark urge related reasons um (laughs) but like that is huge amounts of 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 stuff that i'm not going to see on my playthrough and for the first time ever playing a game that feels absolutely fine you know i feel comfortable that my experience will be different um than someone else's and it is through writing and narrative that is their kind of there is their tool for that and I think that is just a, a super exciting and, and unique kind of machine to be a part of.
0: I would say I'm not sure I totally agree with you yet about uh, how it uses uh, D&D's rule set. Like uh, I, I haven't actually played 5th edition D&D, um, but I feel like perhaps specifically the way that rule set is expressed through the combat of a video game isn't, isn't maybe what i want and i don't think i think there's like a just there's just going to be an innate collision between the sort of breadth of simulatory choices that are available in dialogue based tabletop role-playing games and the sorts of things that i desire from a tactics game like i I would definitely prefer fewer abilities and have their different tactical applications be clearer and more pronounced i prefer the synergies to be more easily reasonable readable Um, And I I don't think that's really a criticism of Larian, who, A, are obligated to (laughs) use the D&D system and make the best game out of it that they can. And I think they probably have. Um, It's it's an insane achievement for them to have accounted for the level of freedom that they have. But it's also just the case that I don't think I enjoy that amorphousness in the context specifically of a turn-based tactics game, specifically a single-player turn-based tactics game, which is how I am playing this obviously you can co-op, um, this game, um, but I'm not doing that. So that means I carry this enormous burden for every single of my party characters who can each express themselves in incredibly intricate, complicated, open-ended ways. And there's no GM there to kind of hedge things and makes, make sure that the challenge that I'm facing is gratifying. So I don't, I don't think it's like, I'm not like, you know, upending my table in anger at this. This is just, I I just feel like, hmm, maybe this isn't exactly what I particularly want from a turn-based tactics game. And I think there's a bit of fussiness around, um, particularly things like upkeep uh, or downtime, as it's sometimes called in in tabletop role-playing games that I don't particularly enjoy when transposed into video games. I think part of that is just um, to do with like streamlining. um, And the, the game does a lot of streamlining, Uh, especially when it comes to like the number crunching of individual dice rolls, that's incredibly fluid, but it can't necessarily make, uh, can't necessarily find a way to, to make the effects of things easily readable in advance. I think, I think that's just, there's a lot of data and they can only present so much of it. And that's, that's just a hard problem for them to face. Um, And it also doesn't deal time with time passing in the same way. Um, And so there's like, when there's a lot of necessity, um, particularly appears in the fifth edition of D&D, for you to recharge your powers um, and recharge spell slots and things like this by by um, resting. Um, and all of that stuff makes a lot more sense in a conversational game where the flow of time is controlled ad hoc. And I don't necessarily f- feel that comfortable with it uh, in a game where the world state is essentially static and advanced at intervals um, I, I don't like having to remember to rest, uh, <laughs> uh, I, maybe just particularly to me, but I find that just quite annoying. Like there's, there's a, obviously there's, um, an interesting strategic element to it where you're considering how much power you're going to have when you enter the next fight. And obviously you know that by resting and recharging those powers, you might, uh, that might cost you some other opportunity that might pass by in that time. But I think that, that the interest that that offers is totally outweighed by the need to cut down on fuss. And the fact is that it's just really, really fucking annoying when you forget and you enter a battle and you're like, oh, I can't, I literally can't do anything, I guess. (laughs) Uh, And you can't, you can't just say, oh, GM, by the way, sorry, I meant to say we could arrest it. They can't retcon that in any way. So you just have to reload and, uh, and it's just because you didn't click a button in the UI. And that seems um, frustrating to me, but, um, I do. Does any of that chime with you, or do you do, do you not agree <clears throat> at all? No, no. I,
2: I, I mean, I finding the, I'm finding the combats. Um, I mean, I sort of agree with you entirely on the kind of the amount of clutter that's going on. You know, you open up your your sort of characters ability wheel, and it's just like, okay, let's just, let's see what we got here. You know, um, you've got a billion spells that you can do, and a billion different actions. Like, I've got two barbarian characters on my team um in my party as they say in in the business and um like i've got like two um yeah two barbarians and they can both do various things of like fury like things where it gives them extra turns i have to admit i never know how many more turns i'm going to have it seems to be a number between 1 and 3 at any given moment so mm. i don't really understand how that's working um i think the economy of it i i've been kind of enjoying the kind of the push and pull of it Mostly, I think. Like, I like the fact that I can't just. Because I enjoy the camp sections where you go for your long rest, um, mm. which always feels like sort of weirdly parochial, like, oh, am I going to have a rest or I'm going to have a long rest? Or, you know, it's that kind of strangely, <laughs> <laughs> strangely weird feel to that stuff. Um, but, uh, you know, the camp scene stuff I quite like. Yeah, I don't mind the economy of it so much. It's very. Um, you get so much stuff. There's constant stuff. You're just looting immense amounts of like magical artifacts and like glowing balls full of spirits and shit and you're just like right put it in the sack we'll sort through it later
0: i'm eating all of those oh yes you've got that character yeah (laughs) yeah Yeah, so so it's amazing how you can cut down on your inventory when you can literally consume (laughs) magic swords (laughs) Uh, yeah Yeah, no i
2: i don't mind it so much i think the save system i think they've probably done their best with it but like (laughs) It's another sort of spell you have to your ability to travel in time sort of has to be managed um in the save system, and pretty much everyone I've spoken to and in the discord I've had stuff where they've kind of limped their way to the end of a boss fight and then failed the skill a skill check and not being able to to reload you know because
0: well, for ages I mean,
2: because they haven't quick adequately you know
0: i mean I don't know if you find this, but I would say that they're um when you go to the, the, the load game menu and you select a save, the, the delete, load, delete save game button is exactly where I instinctively <laughs> assume the load of this save game button would be. Yeah. So I have accidentally deleted the exact save that I wanted to load at some point. No. But, yeah. Um, and also on the, okay, on the Steam Deck, which has the control pad layout,
2: and um, uh, quick save is R2X and quick load is R2Y. And obviously, oh, no. if you press the wrong one, that's a disaster, isn't it? <laughs> that's just a disaster. And that has caught me oh. out so many times. Yes, I'm sticking like, oh, with that dark urge option. Oh, <laughs> <fucking> <laughs> There's not, none of those I, I don't mind. The dark oh, urge okay. options are all fine. It's more the, uh, you know, like, oh, I just stumbled into this unwinnable fight. And, you know, I just need to not be here anymore.
0: <laughs> I would say I, I find the game almost distressingly horny. I- <laughs> <laughs> I don't know I, I don't know what the underlying principles are for the, the character creator tool, which is presumably what they've used to create all the beautiful NPCs too. But there is something like faintly disturbing about the way it just reliably spits out creatures who are like physiologically optimized for slash fiction. They, <laughs> they, are, they have like just perfected the maths of creating lizard men thirst traps, and I've yet to find <laughs> any being in the game human or not that is not in some way like erotically stirring <laughs> mm. yeah it's it's like getting to the point where it's actually like uh emotionally difficult for me as a player because you know I'll, I'll go into a conversation with just some like a, a street <laughs> vendor and be like yeah. oh god no not another extremely fuckable gnome <laughs> like how am i going to explain this to my vampire boyfriend and then you know <laughs> I already have to explain my vampire boyfriend to my slightly bigoted elf girlfriend, (laughs) who I will fix, by the way, (laughs) given enough time. And then, you know, I don't know how I'm going to explain any of this to my actual real world partner. Should they, you know, God forbid, oh God, (laughs) Jesus Christ, God in
2: heaven, (laughs) the worst case scenario. Yeah, I I mean, it's funny. I wonder a little bit about, um, you know, part of the, um, you know, modern like hyper appeal of D anD. D um has been down to this um a critical role this youtube show um which i find unbelievably unwatchable right <laughs> i find it just the most irritating thing but i know loads <laughs> of people really really love it and really really get into it so respect to them but all of those guys are all like insanely hot actors and actresses um and i wonder if that is a kind of vibe that's kind of bled into into the sort of into the sort of sexiness of the game a little bit, like um, I don't know, maybe that's a flat take but um, I, I wondered if that had maybe inspired them a little bit to make it horny, because they're always leaning into that kind of that aspect on that show
0: Yeah, there's definitely a sort of permissiveness I think to the way it's been written I think that's partly to avoid situations where uh, the, the, the player can coerce uh, uh, naughtiness from people uh, in a way which would be transgressive and, and fairly grim. And so in order to account for that, they've just made any, everybody be really up for it I, mean, I don't uh, know. all I th- the time. I think,
2: I think it's pretty true to life. I mean, I remember when I was in my early 20s and I, uh, I held a party and every single person I knew propositioned me and I got to pick um, which one I wanted to <laughs> I wanted to shag that night, and it was yeah, it was just as simple as that. So I, I don't think it's too I don't think it's pushing the boundaries of fiction too much because obviously right. that's happened to all of us many times.
0: Yeah, I forgot I was I was speaking to the the writer of Skins there. I mean, so. <laughs> yeah, I'll let you choose which character in Skins was based on me.
2: Hint: <laughs> It wasn't Nicholas Holt. <laughs>
1: Uh, I was gonna. It, I was gonna ask. Uh, you, got, you covered actually the combat. I was gonna ask about in terms of how much it sort of embraces the D and Dness of it, the, the sort of uh, those really crunchy dice roll mechanics, and how much it sort of glosses over it. But I was kind of curious about how much time you're spending doing lots of fighting, or doing lots of exploring, or doing lots of chatting to people. Like it, I, I mentioned this because I'm just coming towards the end of Final Fantasy sixteen, where for me, the, like the the combat has become completely tedious and is actually most of the game. Um, So I was wondering, like, how much do you have to really get into the combat to enjoy it, or is the can you just like go through the conversation?
2: I've been I've been enjoying the combat actually. I'm 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 usually a kind of more story guy, and my finger hovered over the you know idiot version, (laughs) um, story mode of the gameplay. But actually, I'm glad I I'm glad I clicked normal mode or whatever, um, because I do find the combat fun. It's it feels challenging enough. You know, and it felt like there was a hump to get over in the early game, and then I was cruising for a while and now, in act two, like everything's kicking my ass again, so I have to kind of mm. think about it just enough. I mean it feels really well balanced, and also um it's legible enough for you to kind of i found myself just sort of lucking my way into kind of slightly dodgy but still quite fun synergies, so like my main character has a sword that turns her invisible when she kills people. Um, and also a cloak um, that charms uh, people when they hit her. So you end up with this kind of weird, <laughs> weird thing where half of the enemies on the battlefield are charmed, and I'm invisible running around, and they're all looking for me. And then I've got another spell that kind of um, you know does damage to charm people and stuff like that. So it's 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 kind of um, yeah, it, it doesn't look particularly legible when you kind of open up the inventory screen and see that you have literally three thousand different magic swords, but um actually the way that they've set up your characters where you can just sort of try things on and see how they see how they work is is pretty good so yeah for someone like me who kind of finds like pre final fantasy 16 final fantasy games pretty like, alarming and frightening whenever you're looking in the you know, loadout menu. I, I actually find it kind of weirdly soothing <laughs> hmm. because it doesn't seem to make that much difference. <laughs> I,
0: I, I find it quite different. I, I, I found it to be quite chaotic and unpredictable. Uh, so, I mean, like fairly early on, I was having fights on the, on the, on the default difficulty setting where um, the first thing that happened to me was I was one-shotted by a, a, a walking brain um, and that was it. I had I'm just dead <laughs> instantaneously. Uh, th- like the second combat I had, uh, a wizard just put my entire party to sleep and then they all died before they could <laughs> act. Mm. Um, and that stuff does seem to happen quite a lot. I don't really, there's no, no real way of knowing when you enter a combat, what your enemies are going to do. And I. Always surprised, <laughs> uh, and I don't necessarily think that's good. I think that that lack of readability is is sometimes frustrating. Sometimes it can be exhilarating, but um most of the time it just means I'm reloading. Um, and there's, even on the easy difficult setting, combat takes a lot of time. And I, I think it is um, you you have to really you you I think you have to enjoy it in order to to play the game because it does unavoidably take up quite a lot of time. I would, I would, uh, I'm surprised there isn't an even easier difficulty setting. So you can essentially blast through combat. Um, cause it's, it's still a challenge. Like, uh, even on the easiest difficulty setting, I'm, uh, my characters will, you know, be one of my characters will be taken out pretty quickly in combat and I'll have to adapt in some way. I mean, I am winning the fights, but, um, there's a lot of healing afterwards uh, <laughs> and time spent, um getting people back up to kind of their normal level of hit points which What's just seems again seems like rigmarole already because uh, just if, if if i've selected the option which is let me win then i won't let me win i don't want let me win and then spend 15 minutes dealing with you know uh, damage mitigation and they're super good for um mod support i think it might even already have it so
2: it's like one nice thing is that there'll be you know lots of ways further down the line to kind of you know customize the game and maybe like add a fast forward button into you know the fights where there's like twenty little gribbly, um trevers running around and you have to watch them all scurry about and fire one arrow shots off. It's kind of be, can be quite um,
0: tedious to to watch. I would like. Um, I think uh, RPS mentioned this actually, but a, a mod I w- I'm desperate for is one where you can switch characters uh when you enter conversation because currently if you hit a conversation trigger you're irrevocably stuck in a conversation between whichever character you were controlling at that second but that does mean like if you're moving as a group uh and and you've just you know, like, you've finessed the movement of your dingus character whoever <laughs> they are you know and then suddenly they hit a conversation trigger you're like oh no fucking dingus is going to have to carry this diplomatic operation to conclusion <laughs> and then uh, you know that that goes disastrously wrong because obviously, in a role-playing game, somebody else would just pipe up and say, "Shut up, dingus!" <laughs> yeah, yeah, shut <laughs> up, dingus.
2: No one told you to talk. Um, one other thing I would say, last thing I'll say about it, I think, is that because <laughs> I guess just because of the nature of like the Forgotten Realm setting, like there are a whole bunch of cosmic entities jostling for your attention in this game. I don't know if that's been your um, experience, Marsh, but like I have at least three, maybe even four various haunted beasts coming to me in my dreams and asking me to do (laughs) stuff for them um at least several of the characters are haunted it's it's almost like this sort of weird q a section where everyone's clamoring to ask you questions and you're like "Oh, okay first you and then you we'll get to you all you know (laughs)
0: um
2: uh, yeah so i'm quite enjoying that but it is it is a tad confusing i think one of them might be jason isaacs i'm not sure (laughs) it's good anyway i'd love
0: to hear what you think about it when you get to play it tom
1: yeah i really can't wait um i'm finding all the discussion around it really interesting just makes me more excited about it Um, well it's
0: like it's a proper
2: pc game right it's like a proper mm. crpg on a massive scale that has completely exploded the steams charts and sold an absolute bucket load you know and that's just that's just super exciting i think
1: yeah and also just um, I've been steering away from like reviews and ongoing like I've been obviously sort of skimming a lot of the tapes and things. But um, the joy it me, for me like in games like this is the discussion around them. Like, as soon as I start encountering things, I want to go and find that discussion, and see what people are talking about, what they're finding in the game and stuff. So it's so, yeah, yeah, it's a, an event game.
0: Do you know what kind of character you're going to play when you when you boot it
1: up? I don't know. Like um, I'm, I'm mostly like so with Divinity Original Sin two, I picked the Red King. I think his name was. Um, so I picked one oh, yeah. of the Red of Prince, main, yeah. yeah, Red Prince. That's him. Um, so I picked one of the main characters who have. They do have their own sort of discrete stories that are woven through the game, and that was awesome. But uh, it's really good to know that it's good to create like a, a new character for this one and sort of follow your dark urges <laughs> to wh- wherever they may lead. Um, I was wondering so,
2: actually if you would play your um, goblin character from the C and C plays D and D campaign. Oh yeah. Because- because there is a large goblin camp in this, in the opening act of the game, and I had the word goblobbery, goblobbery. running through my head several times, which you coined during that campaign. Yeah, and, so
1: I, I wish to report a goblobbery. Uh, I, was a, I was a deep gnome who is an incredibly dense, rocky figure who's like heavier than uh, you know a black hole <laughs> um, and could do like magic by clapping and stuff. And then, yeah, They're in there. He, you can he, beat one. He, oh i'll definitely make a deep gnome i love i love deep <laughs> gnomes like after that like after that D campaign cnc D, um i came up with like entire ideas for how they draw maps and make music as deep gnomes in the depths like because they don't want to alert the goblins around them but they the pickaxes make sounds as they quietly mine away like it's tinkling uh music that they make it sounds like a waterfall oh. um yeah, so I yep, deep gnome. If there's a deep gnome in, in there, instant, instant character creation, <laughs> uh, right there. Um, and then it's a matter of class actually, because I've played a, just a few D and D games over the table, and class like really affects how much I get to do as an individual. But I guess like in the video game, of course, you're you know commanding all the characters unless you're in co-op. So maybe it matters a bit less. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know. Um, I'll probably do some kind of slightly nerdy reading into what the classes can do and the abilities and stuff like that, because I do tend to like that in d Do you find it as easy
0: to kind of earnestly role-play in a video
1: game as you do at the tabletop? It's really difficult, cause I think um, role-playing over the tabletop is a much more, like, really intense experience, and I tend to sort of... Uh, all the campaigns I've played over the tabletop have been... Played often, they've just gone to humor, like pretty much almost straight away. So it's been like about trading jokes while sort of trying to stay in character. Um, and there's not that kind of rapport, obviously, in video games naturally. Um, I think, like, over the tabletop, when it comes to role playing, there's always the sense that you're having to work with the people around you to make it fun for everyone. Um, so that social element to it uh, gates what you're, I would do with my character in any given moment to not like take the piss or just break the encounter or just uh, you know do something incredibly too disruptive that would just break the collective experience i think everyone over the tabletop has a sort of collective sense of responsibility towards the experience that everyone's having i think that's a really powerful dynamic in actual over the tabletop uh, not just dnd but any sort of you know rpg role playing game um and of course that is just not available It's not present or part of the interactive video game experience at all there's no sense of responsibility to the story or the narrative or to any of the characters around you, really, <laughs> in the sense, in the way that if you're actually, you know, uh, you know, having riffing mm-hmm. with people around you. So it, I tend to sort of it becomes, on some level, in video games, more of a slightly academic exercise. It's like, how far can I push this? Um, how what if I did this? Like, what would what has someone written for me as a fun thing uh, in, in response to this ridiculous piece of behavior? And it's less about that back and forth and uh, games will never capture that it's just just they just can't at the moment and it's interesting because uh, i think when i when i'm at the table i always play
0: characters who are quite dissimilar from me i'm quite happy to be uh, deeply amoral uh, mm. like a you know a, a little goblin with strangling hands who likes to strangle people totally happy <laughs> i'm totally on board with that but then uh you, you, for some reason whenever i sit down in front of a like a, a video game rpg I always sort of default to the goody two shoes options—the things that seem most rational, the things that are best for the group, even when that group is made up of people who should, by rights, you know, have quite different opinions—and sometimes voice them. Uh, You know, the characters in in this—you know—sometimes I'll do something that annoys my vampire boyfriend. Um, But then, if I get a chance to be the vampire boyfriend in a conversation, I will immediately choose the option that sounds most like the sort of the rational goody two shoes voice. Hmm. I don't know why I do this. I don't know why. That's really interesting. <laughs> no,
1: that's totally the opposite of what
0: you do. That's really interesting. It's quite but,
1: funny isn't
2: it? because like a generation ago or not a generation ago, a couple of video game generations ago, there was the um, you know Call of Duty level where it put machine guns in your hand and asked you to go through an airport and kill people. Oh yeah, yeah. And now it's like go for dinner with this count <laughs> and insult the decor. <laughs> it's like you're like, "Oh, I simply couldn't be so vulgar in front of the count." <laughs>
1: I think there's also an element of uh, in games, your character is going to speak for you in a way that you don't like. It, it, there's such a gap sometimes um, between what you hope your character would say or what you would say in a given situation and the available dialogue options. Um, just by just necessarily, of course, the classic example of that's This is La Noir with their classic, um, you know, whether the prompts were something like trust, doubt, and um, when you're you're a detective and you're interviewing people, and uh, doubt as the word as the you know a way to interrogate someone would end up in just in just wildly different <laughs> approaches from your character where like you press doubt um when you're interviewing this poor old lady and then your character will just start yelling at her like what are you hiding what are you like what do you know it's like what i was just trying i was just trying to gently doubt what she said so yeah, there's uh, you know there's always that distance between you and what your character ends up actually saying like verbatim <laughs> um and that just puts me at a, such a remove when I'm actually doing r p g scenarios and video games in a way that just actually you know saying lines of dialogue in the moment over the over the tabletop is just like a totally different experience that that it's more of, you know that choose your your own adventure book um it's like do you want to go over the cliff um or f- fight the dragon. It's like, okay, I'll just I'll just turn to the, the go over the cliff page just because I want to see what they wrote. <laughs> so it's obviously, it, 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 that's, that, it, I'm not engaging directly with being in personal role-playing necessarily. I'm just kind of almost, not academically, but just kind of curious about the, the paths that are laid out in front of me and I want to sort of see them and reverse them and then sort of explore other ones. I don't know. very like, curious. <laughs> I'm very cliff curious. Because there's a new sexuality <laughs> <laughs> here in Boulder's Gate. Uh, uh, the old cliff you urge. fuck the cliffs <laughs> yet. Soon. No, it's only a matter of time. Um, how about you, Jamie? Like, what, do if you, you played many like tabletop pubs and stuff? Yeah, like quite a few. I've 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 run a few
2: as a as a DM and played in quite a few as well. I love it. I'm very annoying as a player um, because I like, for example, I was playing in a, a game based on the Alien system, and not the Alien system, the Alien movies, um, mm. and I, I decided to be a, a mad scientist character who worshipped the aliens as gods. Mm. And all that meant was just, (laughs) I was constantly just running (laughs) towards the aliens and sort of prostrating myself in front of them and (laughs) and, and asking them to sort of, you know, elevate me to a new level of humanity. Was Um, it a short game? (laughs) <laughs> yeah well it was a sh- it was a short game because yeah the aliens just tore me to pieces uh in session one i mean it was a great session one but like <laughs> i i always <laughs> i always want to i always want my players to play like that and i've had some great times actually recently with with marsh's rpg teeth because it really encourages that and I, I was playing with a bunch of um people on the cnc discord and we had a great time you know because like i was really urging them to get into that frame of mind where just like just fuck with me just just annoy me like try and Mm. piss me off in the stupid shit you try and do um because that's kind of in my head that's the kind of game element really as a as a gm is to kind of like how can i like how can i sort of support this crazy choice like how can i try and find a way um you know to to allow them to do this to sort of yes and their their decisions you know um, which yeah. is obviously something a, a video game can never quite, um, you know, manage. But I think Baldur's Gate does gesture in the right direction, if nothing else.
1: Yeah, I think it's really interesting you guys touched on that D&D in its current moment is so different than it was like five, ten years ago. Um, in the sense that so many podcasts have kind of come up with a really super massive podcasts, uh, like, you know, The Adventure Zone and um, Dungeons and Daddies and things like that. I fucking um, Love Dungeons and Daddies. It's so funny. but they are all absolutely so funny. Rude um, Rude Tales of Magic is another recommend for people. That's Atlanta a good one. Yep. We should put a list of the you know our faves. Like uh, I'm pretty sure like, most of our listeners will know them, but um, that that combination of like humour and horniness has kind of really come to the fore, thanks <laughs> to all of those kind of podcasts and the kind of the way D and D is seen now is I think much more fun. Even like stuff like Stranger Things uh, has kind of brought it to the fore in a, in a sort of different light and not a sort of uh, satanic, <laughs> in the 80s a satanic pastime that uh, kids play in their basements while their parents are away or No, no,
2: I've I've uh, run uh, role-playing games for my uh, parents-in-law um, who are like an elderly Jewish couple I had to explain <laughs> to them several times uh, what role-playing was and by mm. the end of it, we were playing the uh, Monty Cook system called Oh, what's it called? Numenera? No, it wasn't Numenera It's one of their other ones, it's called it's got dinosaurs in it. It's set in like Dinosaur Land and you get to you play as yourself oh, yeah. but you also play as a dinosaur familiar who runs <laughs> around with you. So I I had my my parents-in-law playing along with that and I got to see some sides of my my father-in-law of Martin that I'd never seen before. He was like mm-hmm. talking about abducting one of the guards of the base we were going to break into and taping up his entire head with masking tape. <laughs> <laughs> and and i just yeah that was just a, a wonderful moment i've never he's never said boo to a goose and he had all these like violent fantasies about what he was gonna, <laughs> how he's going to contain this innocent security guard anyway i digress <laughs> Do you want us to the
1: name of your relative in the final no, version of this that's fine it's martin he's all right nice it's
2: just the beast that lives inside him it's not him. <laughs>
1: <laughs> they just sound like um what's going Embrace, embrace the joy of those kind of slightly chaotic interactions in some ways through his writing and, and responses and stuff. Um, I'm kind of uh, I'm really interested to play it, particularly as a sort of reflection against. Um, God, the game name has gone completely out of my head because I'm old. Pac-Man. Oh, no, we mentioned it earlier. Shambles Man game where you go around Disco Elysium. Yes, they should have called it Shambles Man. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> the game. <laughs> That is such a better title. That is it. That is genuinely a better title. <laughs> that's how I think of it. He's <laughs> <laughs> playing Utter Shambles Man, just yeah, shamblesing so... it up over some <laughs> dark corner of Eastern Europe. <laughs> um, Shamble Man's terrible
2: holiday to space. <laughs> to space, space Czechoslovakia. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I feel like, you know, the carry-on films, you know, Shambles Man in Europe, Shambles Man in America.
2: <laughs> I would absolutely want Shambles Man in America.
1: But in terms of, like, the, the sheer amount of dialogue and the sort of exposition, you know, expression of of character through writing alone, um, Disco Elysium, seems like a, a kind of high point for me. And so it's great to see, you know, it sound, from what you guys were saying, like, this sounds like another game in a very different tone and very different sort of setting, really sort of centering good writing and entertaining dialogue and surprising twists and turns during conversations uh, that sounds awesome it is i think so far <laughs> we'll, we'll definitely report, talk about we'll it more report back yeah when... yeah yeah what are you even playing tom uh, i've been playing some a couple of games completely different uh so i've been playing a couple of platinum games um the first one is the wonderful 101 which i think was released in like 2012 2013 on the wii u um And I I never had a Wii U. It always seemed like a sort of an absolute mess of an idea, but there's some really cool games on it. This one has been remastered uh, relatively recently for the Switch. I think it's on PC as well. And uh, you play, it's a sort of superhero game where you uh, get to round up loads of civilians. And um, in a sort of like, from Mm. an elevated perspective, it's almost like a tilt shift perspective. You play this tiny, tiny little guy um, surrounded by like a swarm of civilians have been empowered by your superior magic um and by drawing gestures with the right stick or using the touch screen you can turn them into weapons that you then swing at enemies and different weapons obviously different characteristics in terms of uh like there are enemies that are weak to the whip you pull armor off them and then turn all of your minions into a sword and then slash them um and then if they charge you you can press the left trigger and all of your minions turn into a blob of jelly and in a very pleasing way, the charging enemy bounces off you and then uh, thrashes around upside down like a dying tortoise as you smack them um, with your weird sword power. And it's kind of it's such a so it's, it's, it's um the director was Kameya from like Devil May Cry fame. And um, the director of I think Beautiful Joe, which is a game that
0: was it. Oh, I've been uh, my head was about to explode. I was trying to remember what was this game, the spiritual successor to. But it <laughs> turns out to be something you can't really easily Google. Yeah. Answer to. Um, oh yeah, Beautiful Joe. Yeah, I played that. I haven't played One for One Hundred One, but it looks very similar. So the main the character
1: in it, um, like it's actually the main character is just looks. It just it is Beautiful Joe, like in terms of the design on the mask and everything, and the red clothes and stuff. Um, but this is more like from an RTS perspective and actually in practice it's just a very, very unusual game that um with an unusual gesture based control system that channels Platinum's um is Platinum Platinum famous for just uh huge combo systems, very sharp third person action games. Um again like, like Bayonetta is the, probably the most famous game. Um and so if you know Bayonetta or of DevMaker indeed like those games where you're just Comboing, doing like clutch dodges to slow time down and then deliver abilities. Lots of weapons that you equip and then master the combat system over a period of about ten acts or something. Um, but actually, like you know, Platinum have done a couple of weird games like this one, like the Wonderful One Hundred One. You play it and it doesn't. It sort of it has all of the DNA of uh, those other Platinum games as fighting games, but just like portrayed in a very like quite funny um like the colorful way uh, it's got these mock superheroes who just have uh, who are all quite funny and then it sort of but it is it is still that twitch combat game but it sort of tricks you into thinking it's not um which I find really interesting because it's it's kind of I think it's it's an effort to bring those like very like famously that, those games that are famous for being very difficult and alienating for their difficulty and their demanding control schemes and uh, twitch ability and presenting it in a way that like you'd get your kid to play and frankly they would master it before before you <laughs> they would find out how to you know actually you know craft all these citizens, this grouping around you um, all these little pikmin into those swords and into those kind of whips in a split second. And I've watched YouTube videos where they, like, there are players who've unlocked, like, combos and, like, cancel combos where, so cancelling and in, in combo creation in video games where you've got a special move and it takes a certain number of frames to play out, and then that means you're vulnerable, like, for that amount of time, um, but if you, or it means that you can't chain that attack into other attacks. Cancelling means that you get to cancel the attack a few frames early and then immediately start another attack, so you could... Form your own combos by cancelling in and out of different special moves to uh create like ever-increasing, like ridiculous uh stacking combos that earn you thousands and hundreds of thousands and millions of points. Um so you, you can play through Wonderful 101 and enjoy it just as a kind of like really fun knockabout in this lovely, colourful tilt shift superhero world. But then oh, it's worth watching the YouTube videos of these players who are just able to just juggle an entire battlefield of enemies by just cancelling in and out of different abilities, uh, uppercutting with a you know, particular sword attack and then turning into uh, a whip and then you know activating that attack. And then they, they just go higher and higher into the air. And there's like hundreds of enemies around them just like rising with them, just getting hit you know, thousands and thousands of time, And um, the score combo just goes up and up and up. And in true platinum fashion, at the end of each sort of little section, a little combat segment, it grades you... Um, it gives you a little trophy at the end of each bit. It's like, oh, this was bronze. And I was just getting regularly bronze, bronze, bronze until I watched these videos. And then I was like, oh, there's a whole level to this <laughs> that I just did not understand was there. Uh, and yeah, so, sorry, that's quite a technical explanation of like cancelling and stuff like that. But it's a real, it's, it's really is the heart of lots of combat systems. It's all gesture-based. So you're often using your right stick to draw your little men into a sword and then draw your little men into a whip or draw your little men into a, a circle to plant a bomb. So it's all very kind of gesture-based, but um, if you have enemies in the air in a certain state, then you can quickly draw uh, a bomb and then quickly draw a whip and then activate those attacks. It's quite hard to explain, but it's it's kind of it's the way they bait all this complexity into something that is quite you know on ostensibly quite a casual game, just aimed at children, um, and it's sort of almost teaching people the sort of deeper complexities of Platinum's combat systems that uh are actually transferable skills to the rest of their games oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> um which is which is kind of wild and uh so it's, it's almost like if i was like 11 i'd play wonderful 101 and then i'd try and get really good at it and i'd learn how to do all that sort of technical stuff and i'd you know these days with youtube and just like on you know discord or whatever if people are going to be like trading strategies. They didn't have to build it this way. They didn't have to make it this good. <laughs> they really, really didn't. They could have made it just like like the Lego games. Um, they could have made it just oh, you get to draw cool shapes and then uh, press the button to whack robot enemies and they blow up and they look pretty. They didn't have to do all this technical shit <laughs> like on top of that. They didn't have to like create all this this depth of uh, you know all these com- combo systems and uh, this reward system that gives you medals and you know different trophies for getting better and better at the game. But that's a sort of part of Platinum's DNA. Like they really want you to get good at their games, and I really, really like that. Uh, uh, like in Bayonetta, and part of that means like often in like Bayonetta encounters and things like that, you get trophies in that as well for each combat um, segment. But it will be like most of them I that I got on my first playthrough, they were just trash. It's like, oh, you just about made it. You've got the clay th- trophy. <laughs> it's meaningless and worth nothing. What that tells you is there are levels to this. There are there are, you know you can there's there's more to master here, there's more to do, um, and there's more to kind of enjoy if you really want to kind of get you know, play the game to its maximum potential. Which is kind of really I find that really exciting because it's a full length game anyway, uh Wonderful One on One. Um but if you really want to you know get obsessed with the system itself. It's like two or three games in one. Um I really like it when particularly you know the way combat systems are built, after playing Final Fantasy sixteen which is just uh, just um there's no depth to it at all in terms of the combat you can chain lots of things together it doesn't really matter what you do you just sort of press the buttons and go through the motions um, for many many hours and actually like the 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 art of creating a, a great combat system in lots of different forms and formats i just like i just absolutely love that about platinum and any other game designers who who create similar things uh i kind of like the other game I was playing was um astral chain which i talked about in the podcast before which is actually oh, a yeah. uh, but yeah, so this is uh, another Platinum game. It's um, a police procedural game set in the future where demons are invading meat space. And uh, your character as a sort of police baton has various weapons. And you are an individual combat character, third-person combat. Um, but at the same time as doing these combos, you have a demon on a leash that you control with the right stick. <laughs> um, it's an absolutely just batshit. Conception of combat, like it's just <laughs> as is, as as this wonderful 101 like both like the idea that you're creating gestures to turn people into weapons that you then hit things with. In Astral Chain, you're sort of so I'm hitting things with my baton, and then I'm using while I'm also at the same time using the right stick to encircle, uh, get my my demon dog to encircle enemies with the the chain leash that freezes them in place. Then I get to mega combo them because they're all frozen, Um and it's. Just like I can't believe they made it. <laughs> I can't believe like it got made uh, because it's such a weird system unlike anything else I've ever played in terms of actually the, the leash is a kind of object that you use uh, sometimes there are enemies that charge at you and you see a, a projection across the battlefield of where they go to charge and then you send your you know you've got your link to your demon by the leash and then you stretch yourself and the demon to form uh, to put the leash across the path of the charging demon. And they, like in almost like slapstick fashion, barge into the chain. They get, you know, it goes to its full extension and then bounces them back to the entire other <laughs> side of the arena. Um, and it's, it's just absolutely bonkers stuff. But then again, like, it's rating every combat encounter that, that, you, that you do. And, like, I, I've started to get a lot better at it. But then you, you go online, you're watching people, and it's like, oh, my God, there are just levels. Like, there are different combos that you can do in terms of... You, Hit some things with the baton, then switch to the heavy thing. While you get your uh, demon to, you know, tie people up in their chain, and then you hit them with the big sword for a bit, and then you change the gun, and then you switch to a different demon and lift them in the air, and then you're shooting them. It's just, I just it's just the amount of depth and kind of complexity and just slaps get attainments that Platinum build into their combat systems, uh, while also just embracing just completely patchy ideas. And just completely, just fully releasing a game (laughs) based on the fact that you can A, turn loads of little minions into a sword or B, you know, bounce things around with a a demon on a chain. Uh, I just, uh, I just, I'll always play, I play everything that Platinum releases. I think they did Metal Gear Rising Revengeance and stuff like that as well, which has its Mm -hmm. own thing where you're cutting enemies apart and tearing their hearts out to get points and stuff. Uh, I don't know. I've just really, really enjoyed sort of going through my back catalogue and uh, like, rediscovering my love for the platinum stuff are you gonna play yeah. uh
2: vanquish that's a good one.
1: Oh, vanquish is great um yeah a like, slightly shooty one yes uh, i played it i've beaten vanquish before um hilarious for the, just the total inclusion of hillary clinton as, <laughs> as the president of the united states in, in space as robots are attacking um it's got probably, one of the stupidest plots of yeah, it's incredible yeah like it's, it's yeah it's so much fun uh that yeah uh, that's actually is, is really interesting because that's a bit of a departure from all the stuff i was just talking about but it still does uh there's a kind of rule of call cool to platinum stuff where it, it, you could vault over uh scenery and you can slide you can do a sort of like you know rock star slide across the stage but um you've got like jet but you've got jet boots so you boost yourself along with your jet boots as you sort of sliding crotch out fully <laughs> like leaning back and then Whenever you do something like that, it just the game goes into slow motion, and you just get to combo headshot loads of stuff with your ridiculous robot guns, um, and the bosses is just berserk as well. Really good fun. <laughs> no, Van- Vanquish is is a really good one. Um, yeah, it's another one. There's loads of kind of like I don't know how to get good at Vanquish yet, but it's one I need to go back to and play. But yeah, I, yeah, more more of that sort of thing, please. Do you ever play their Transformers game? I didn't. No, um, I I can't remember what it was called, but yes, I, I saw that they were. Involved devastation i didn't actually but so platinum seems to have like made a bunch of games that others that have been pumped off to them from other studios or they've consulted on games where they've sort of been hmm. involved in uh sort of the combat systems i think well, near on automata um, so or 16 yeah i think yeah. they can yeah so i think you could sort of tell from like the animations and the snappiness like uh, to me like final fantasy 16 doesn't have any anywhere near the depth of their like core games um but the, I think they did. Um, they had a hand in near automata as well uh, mm. a few years back uh, for the combat, and you can sort of see the kind of snappiness and um, fantastic sort of swordplay you get to do in those games. So definitely sort of platinum motifs. Uh, but no, I didn't play that. I didn't play the Transformers game. I, sh- I should actually sort of, I kind of want to play all their games. Is any good?
0: I don't really know, but it's it's just one of those. They're an interesting studio because they do do a bunch of sort of stuff that in the in the the heyday of our games genres and careers would have been absolute poison, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. third party tie ins to to big franchises. Um, but from what I understand, that they they did a, a noble effort on it. I was just uh, wondering what your take on it was.
1: Yeah, so I was actually, I'm actually I definitely going to pick that one up. Um, I, I didn't realize that they made Mad World on the Wii. Which was, oh, kind, yeah. of was kind of hyper violent, fast, black and, and white. It? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it, it's listed here as their first game. Actually, I, did, I didn't know that was. A bad That's film, a cover on Edge magazine. Oh wow, yeah, one of the I, many I, games that we cursed to ignominy <laughs> by putting them on the cover. <laughs> it always felt like Mad World was um, part of the statement that Nintendo were actually going to host gritty and violent games to an extent. Like, like a few that was early. Then they quickly did Bayonetta and Vanquish. Uh, that Gear Rising Revenge, is wonderful. One and two. Oh, they did a Legend of Korra game. Wow. Interesting. Legend of Korra is the Avatar um universe. Oh and yeah. I didn't know that there was even a Korra game when apparently they did that. Uh yeah, Transformers Devastation. Star Fox Zero. And, oh, I remember that being a cursed game actually. Um, <laughs> I wish I could I yeah.
2: wish I could enjoy their games more. I'd like I've tried a good deal of them and given lots of them a fair go. And I just I can never push past the lore and the dialogue and the um acting and all that sort of stuff, it just starts to do my head in after a certain point. Um and I can't cope anymore. Like Bayonetta, I am assured by just about everyone I've ever known who plays video games is a is a classic and a masterpiece. And I just whatever the layer of irony that, you know, that game is <laughs> sort of coated in, I just can't push through it. And like I loved um DMC, uh the uh, one mm. done by uh uh the British studio, I, like I really enjoyed that one. And I played that through and completed it, but like for some reason, I think that kind of that shimmer of irony over that game, which is no less stupid, really, it's just different. I was sort of fine with, but yeah, the 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 bayonetta sense of humor, I just can't. I can't get my head around it.
1: Uh, yeah, they're all it is absolutely bonkers. Uh, I don't, I, I don't know what to make of it really. Um, <laughs> in, in terms of like. Is this is are these stereotypes empowering anyone (laughs) or like is this really is this bad (laughs) is what I'm watching kind of bad Um, and I ended up sort of like being sort of blasted into submission by it really Uh, and also just that's um, an
0: appropriate pose to be in underneath the uh, the latex clad bayonetta very true (laughs)
1: Um, yeah so I've really enjoyed those two games particularly for their strange like control schemes and I'd say like. Almost ill-advised for the for the fact that it requires players to learn an entirely new way of sort of interacting with the controller, um, especially if you use the sort of uh, touch touch uh, screen controls for the wonderful one hundred and one, which are just almost unmanageable. Uh, just to, just to ask players to learn a whole new way to hold the controller and do stuff is kind of quite an ask. Um, but it does sort of it has sort of solidified my next game buy, which is going to be Pikmin for uh, <laughs> not from Platinum games. No. Not about, well, it is about beating up monsters to an extent, but none of the sort of like, you know, goal chasing, uh, combat encounters where you're trying to get the highest combo score on this poor, you know, innocent creature who's trying to survive in the middle of, you know, a swamp. But uh, it, it, all these games reminded me of like having very complicated control systems where the right stick and gestures are kind of a big part of it. And Pikmin is one of the games, one of the few games on controller that have actually, to me, actually done a great job. Of letting you use the right stick as a cursor, uh, summoning minions, uh, having those kind of like RTS controls in a kind of tight tactical context that isn't overwhelming, and it's completely intuitive and also just very very fun. So when you hold down the button, you you put the cursor over a piece of land and you hold down the button, and a big whistle goes out and a huge radius blasts out of your cursor and summons all the Pikmin to you. Um, It's just a, it's an incredibly satisfying, really well observed. Uh, mechanic in the sense that it communicates exactly what it's doing. It sounds great, it looks great, and it's wonderful to see all, all your little Pikmin, Pikmin bro- uh, like dudes run, dash back towards you, and form up, up, around, up around you in a blob. Uh, an, an incredibly, you know, kind of slimmed down but really honed uh, control system uh, from the first game onwards, actually. Uh, I really nice. enjoyed the first one. Uh, yeah. So I, I just know that the, the fourth one's going to be more of that good stuff because I'll play the demo as well. This is a free demo, really well worth playing if you've got a Switch. Good stuff.
0: Lovely. Should we end the podcast there? Let's end the podcast there. Sounds good. That's all the podcast we had. We've finished it. We've done it. We've consumed it all. We've platinum platinum the podcast. We oh, yeah. have absolutely. If you'd like to send us a question, you can do so at questions at crateandcrowbar dot You can t- you guys. I was going to say you could tweet us. Don't bother. <laughs> all these recordings are uploaded as videos to YouTube. Where you can find other nonsense by us. Address for that is youtube.com dot com slash crateandcrowbar. And thanks as always to our backers on Patreon. You can back us too at patreon.com slash or you can simply join our lovely Discord community, the link for which is on our website, crateandcrowbar.com. That's it. I'm going to caper off into the hills like the goblin that I am. I've been Marsh Davis.
2: I'm going to follow my dark urge and uh, commit some dreadful faux pas at a forest. Back and I,
1: I'm gonna go full deep gnome and just dig directly downwards, and then cover myself <laughs> up and
0: hibernate. That sounds lovely. <laughs> I could have a bit of that. Good, Good night. night. <laughs> <laughs>